Oh man, what uh, an incredibly moving video there. I'm already tearing up and I know that makes my daughter happy. She always wants to see me cry. Um, but when I think about Father's Day, there's a lot of emotions that come with that. I think about my father and just how much my father means to me. And um, my dad has always been the hero in my life. And um, many of you know, my mother passed away almost seven years ago now. And I think about my father um, and just the rock that he has been in my life now for almost 68 years. In fact, my parents' 48, wedding, uh, 48 year wedding anniversary would have been this last week or this week. And um, when I think about who my dad is, like I said, he's always been the greatest hero in my life. All I ever wanted to do was grow up to be like my dad. And dad, if you're watching, I love you. And uh, I'll never forget several years ago, um, I was going through just a really, really tough time in my life. And I called my dad and said, dad, I, I need some help. And, um, and he helped. And then he texted me later. And I'll never forget where I was when he said, and he said, son, as long as I'm alive, I'm always here to help you. So dad, thank you. I love you. And I think about uh, being a dad to my own kids. Um, <laughs> this is going to be an emotional message. I can just tell you on the front end here. Um, and how privileged I am to be a father to my son and a father to my daughter and seeing those aspects in the video there, thinking about those seasons in their life and just the privilege and honor it has been to be a part of their life and see them grow up into the men, uh, man and woman that God is creating them to be. And um, I understand now why um, that whole phrase, it's just a phase, don't miss it. Um, because I look back now and I miss those phases. I miss those phases of their lives. And I, you know, Jackson just turned 16 this year and driving, and now he's gone all the time. It's like you miss those other phases. And so I look forward to the next phases. I don't look forward to the day of giving my daughter away in marriage. I will cry like a baby on that day. And uh, to my kids as well, thank you for allowing me to be your father. And to all the fathers that are out there, um, Again, I just want you to know from our church how much we love you, how much we honor you, and I'm going to pray in just a second before we jump into the message. I want to pray a blessing over you as fathers because you have an incredible role. Uh, I saw a book that just came out this week called The Dad Difference by a Christian pastor um, that I think is a great, I haven't read it yet, but it looks to be like a great book, and I just thought about that, about the difference that dads make. And so dads, we love you, we honor you. Before we jump into the text today, I'm going to pray not only ask God to bless our time together, but bless you as a father. So let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are our first father, that you are God the Father. You, you could have chosen all types of ideas or metaphors to explain yourself to us, but you said God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, God to show um, the relationship in the Trinity and that you're a father. And so God, thank you that first and foremost, that the Bible says about who you are, you're a father to the fatherless. And God, we know there are a lot of people in the world that have grown up without fathers. And thank you for, for stepping in and being their fathers. And 
there's anybody here today that doesn't have a father and they don't know you, God, I pray that they would understand that they can know you as their father. And so, God, we know that when we talk about fathers, or there's a lot of father wounds. There's a lot of things that, that have resulted in our lives because of the sins of our fathers. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to work through that as our father. But we also want to thank God. We want to thank you for all the godly fathers out there that are doing um, a role that you have assigned to them, but it's some heavy lifting. And it is a role that makes such a difference. It is a role that you have given us the responsibility to lead into, to lead out of our families. And so God, I pray that you would give us grace to do that. I thank you for all the fathers in our church or all the fathers that are listening or watching. God, I pray that you would bless them that you would give them grace. As we talk today in your word, I pray that you would speak to them. You would give them encouragement through your word. God, the, the goal today is not to in any way beat up or demean men or fathers. God, we want to come together as fathers and do our best to represent you as the father. So God, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that this would be a great day in their families and that you would give them time with their families. And if their fathers are still alive, that they would say thank you to their fathers. So God, I pray as we open your word again, you would speak to all of us, not just the fathers, because this will apply to all of us, but we do want to specifically honor and thank you for the dads out there. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. All right. If you want to open up your Bible to Romans chapter 15, we're actually going to close out chapter 15 today. We got just three verses, verses 30 through 33, four verses, depending upon how you count them. And uh, intentionally shortened last week's message. Originally, these verses were going to be in last week's, but we broke them up. And I'm so glad I did, because I think these verses, especially the first part of it, are going to apply specifically to fathers. And again, I think they'll apply to everybody as well. But I really do believe as I was, again, going over this and studying this and thinking about it, God just really moved in my own time with him, and I'm praying that he will speak to us today. And so Romans chapter 15, verse 30, uh, I'm going to read it and then show you how it specifically can apply to fathers, but then obviously it also applies to everyone else as well. Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So let's stop there and chat for just a little bit. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. Now, when he's making an appeal, that's in a, you know, it's, he's exhorting them. He's encouraging them into a response or an action. And so he says, I'm appealing to you. And then he says, brothers. Now, that word there, brothers, can uh, be used several different ways. It can refer to brothers and sisters, which would be the whole sibling family of God, the new family of Jesus, as I have heard it said, and I love that phrase, the, the new family of God, the new family of Jesus, so everybody that makes up the family. Or it could be specifically applying to just a group of people like brothers or just a group of people like I want to apply it today to fathers, all right? So I'm going to speak to that just for a little bit and saying how this appeal can apply directly to us as fathers, but then again, has universal appeal to everybody. And so the appeal or the thing that he is encouraging them into action is I appeal to you brothers to strive together, to strive together with me in prayer. 
So that's the appeal, all right? In fact, the title of today's message is Strive Together. Strive Together. And so there's this kind of a fraternity, if you will, if you want to think about as fathers, we could apply it to us like this, that Paul's appealing to us to strive together with him. Now, best we know, Paul wasn't an earthly father, but in this specific context, again, he's talking to just Christians there, but we think about this and apply this as fathers, we can see it as him appealing to us to do something, appealing to us to strive together. Now, I'll talk more about striving together in prayer in just a minute, but I want to just make that connection for you that the appeal is to do this, but then there's two phrases in between those two things that are so very important that I think will help us as fathers, and again, has universal appeal to everybody, but I want to uniquely apply them to this group. So the appeal is to strive together. Well, how do we strive together? Well, he gives us two buys, all right? He says, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Now, again, if you've been around here, you know I love prepositions. And those, word, those prepositions, by there, is the same preposition. It's a preposition of means. So the means to which we do this. So he's encouraging, strive together. Okay, how do we do that? What are the means by which we do that? That's the most important part here. He says, first, by the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we think about as fathers, we are encouraged or appealed to action. God gives fathers specific action steps to strive together to. One in this context, obviously, is prayer. Again, we'll talk about that in just a second. But what I want us to help, uh, help us with as fathers specifically is how do we do what God's calling us to do? Well, Paul tells us right here. First, he says, by the Lord Jesus Christ. This one, I have just, and it's not a point necessarily, but I've just kind of labeled this. This is the lordship issue. This is the lordship issue. It's interesting to me. He doesn't just say by Jesus. He says, but by our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the greatest temptations every man faces is to be his own Lord. One of the greatest temptations every man faces is to be his own God. In fact, that's exactly what happened when the devil, we'll talk more about him in just a minute too, comes to Adam and Eve and says, God's holding out on you. Don't trust him. Be your own God. And that is the temptation for all of us, especially as men. And God made us with a role to work the ground, to provide, to lead. God made us that. But what happens is we can take the gifts that God gave us and then use them to deny him. And so you and I will never be good fathers unless we first wrestle down the lordship issue. Who's the Lord of your family? Who's the Lord of your life? Joshua says, I don't know about y'all, right? But me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I guess speaking of fathers, I'll never forget my grandfather, my dad's dad, who didn't get saved until later in life. My dad would always tell me that his father and my grandfather were two different people. Not literally, but in the sense that the guy that he had growing up and the guy that I knew as my grandfather were two radically different people. What happened? Jesus happened. He got saved later in his life, in his 60s. He came to faith in Christ, and he was a bad man before that. Lived on his own from when he was 13 years old. Served in the military. I mean, the dude was a rough, 
rough dude, a lot of sin, a lot of abuse. And, and, and so when I heard stories about my dad growing up, I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, my grandfather put my dad in a doghouse for three days and two nights in his underwear. That was his punishment. No corner, dog pen outside. That's how my dad grew up. But when Jesus got a hold of my grandfather's life, I'll never forget this. When he got saved outside his front door, he put a sign over the front door. And it was that verse. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And then from that point on, I had so many conversations with my grandfather about the Bible, about God, because I was a believer then at that point in time. And so the first thing that we got to wrestle down as fathers is who is Lord of your family? Who's the Lord? Who's the authority? This word here, Lord, literally means the one who calls the commands or the one who gives the commands. You see, God gives us a responsibility as fathers to lead out in our homes. And we do have an authority, but it's a delegated authority. It's not an independent. It's not an autonomous authority. I've talked about this many, many times in different messages. It is one given to us, granted to us, gifted to us by God. And so that authority I have is I carry out under his authority. But if I don't understand that lordship issue, then I will try to do it under my own authority, under my own commands. And I will be held accountable for that. And I'll never forget a conversation with my son when he was young. He was like two or three. He couldn't even really understand what I was saying. But I'll never forget, I, I got down on my knee. I pulled him right into my face. I mean, we got nose to nose, man. I don't know if my breath was bad or not. And I said, listen, I want you to understand something. You are called by God to obey me because one day you'll leave my house and you need to understand that even though you're out from underneath my authority, you're still under God's authority. And how you respond now to this authority will determine a lot how you respond later to that authority. And so my authority is delegated by God and I need to understand that I'm not an authority in and of myself. So when it comes to being a good father, the first thing is to wrestle down the lordship issue. There is a, a God and it's not you. You know, I have a phrase I like to say around here. You know, my name is Jason, five letters, Jesus, five letters in English. Don't get the wrong five letters. I have to say that to myself. It's Jesus. He's the Lord. Second thing that he says here that is so interesting to me, the second by the preposition of means, he says is by the love of the spirit. It's interesting to me because this is one of the only times that Paul phrases it like this, normally he's talking about the power of the Spirit or the grace of the Spirit. But this time he uses the word love. You know, I love alliteration. So Lord, the Lordship issue and the love issue. If you're going to be a good father, the second thing that you got to do is not only wrestle down the Lordship issue, but wrestle down the love issue. And this word, and you probably I've heard this before, but are different Greek words for the word love. This is agape. It's God-like love. And one of my primary roles as a father under the authority of Jesus is to love. And this is where a lot of men, a lot of dads wrestle because we don't, we don't have a framework for that. We may have been taught when we were younger that real men don't cry. That's just not true. I already cried, I'll probably cry again. In fact, I love how Tim Keller says, he says, you know God's working in a man's heart when he begins to cry again. 
when he begins to get in touch with his emotions. Men are emotional creatures. And so what we need to understand, if we're going to be good fathers, not only do we need to wrestle down the lordship issue, but wrestle down the love issue. Because I was reading something just the other day when, you know, when a baby is conceived in the womb and it is a baby, all right, it's a baby. And from that point in time, a bond is created in between the mother and the child for typically nine months. And as men, women have a nine month head start, but not only because they have more time, but they have more connection. And so naturally the baby and the mother will have a relational connection and the dad has to work harder at it. Because the dad has always been other. The dad has always been detached from that whole process. And so what God is commanding, again, interestingly, is not only wrestle down the lordship issue, but wrestle down the love issue. Because kids need to know that their dads love them. And kids need to know that their dads are okay with being affectionate with them, hugging them, kissing them, saying, I love you. And so when you apply this specifically, it's interesting that Paul says, how do you strive together? As a father with, your, with a mother, how do you strive together? Wrestling down the lordship issue, wrestling down the love issue. That's how you do it, by the means of that. Now, I love how he says the love of the spirit. You're like, well, I never saw my father love me. I never saw men loving each other. Well, you know what you need to do? You need to look at the spirit. Look to the spirit. Look to what he does, how he works. Ask him, help me understand how much the father loves me and then help me love like that. Help me understand agape from God and then that way I can agape from God through me. And that's what I want us to see as dads. And again, you can see how this has universal appeal beyond just fathers, but specifically being Father's Day, those two things jumped out at me. So I appeal to you, brothers, fathers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers. Again, I think that's a unique thing too, because as men, as fathers, not only do we need to wrestle that lordship issue, we need to wrestle the love issue, but we need to lead and be the spiritual leaders in our home. We need to lead. We need to lead out of the Lordship of Christ through the love of the Spirit and lead out in striving together in prayer. And I got to be honest with you, this is something I wrestle with. I, I don't, I'm not very good at praying anyway, which is always ironic because people always want the pastor to pray in public. And I'm not saying I can't pray, I can, but when it comes to personal, when it comes to praying with my wife at night or praying with my kids, I wrestle with that because it's an intimate thing or I'm busy, or I'm tired, or all those kinds of things, but that's still on me to lead out in that, to strive together with me in your prayers. Why is this so important? Let's look at that phrase there, strive together. The word is a Greek word made up of two parts, a prefix, sin. It's, it's the Greek word. I'm not even going to try to say it. I'll just tell you. Sin, uh, not S-I-N, like what I, but like synergy, that means together. It means with. The second part of the word literally is where we get our English word agonize. So the phrase strive together in the Greek means agonize together, agonize with one another. 
carry each other's burdens, strive together, fight together. And notice he doesn't say strive, strive with each other. No, he says, strive together with me. And what he's getting at is don't fight each other, fight together. Fight together with me in your prayers. And that's what's so hard for us to understand sometimes, because if we're not careful, we'll misplace the person that we're fighting against. We'll start fighting the wrong people. Whether it's fathering, we'll start fighting our kids. That's the wrong fight. You're fighting the demon in your kids, right? Come on. You'll start fighting with your wife. That's the wrong fight. You need to fight with them against your common enemy, not against them, but with them against him. Against who? Against the devil. And that's what I want us to spend the rest of our time talking on. And this won't apply just to fathers. It applies to all of us. But he says, strive together with me. Fight together with me. Agonize together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. The reason why this is so important, and I want to help us understand something here. Because if we get the wrong enemy, we will be fighting the wrong fights. If we get the wrong enemy, we'll be fighting the wrong fights. And again, this applies, yes, to fathers, yes, to mothers, yes, to everybody. It applies to everything that's going on in our culture right now. It applies to everything that's going on. Because we're fighting the wrong fights. Because we have forgotten our common enemy. Our common enemy isn't the other side of whatever issue you're on. Whatever, issue, whatever side of whatever issue you're on, your common enemy is not the other side. It's someone else who's trying to destroy both sides. And who is that? It's the devil. Now, if you want to turn there, you can, but I'm going to read out of Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 12. And I want us to dig into this a little bit, and I'm going to come back to praying, all right? Because I want to talk to you about prayer, but I want you to understand something. When we're fighting together, when we're striving together, when we're agonizing together, we have to make sure we're fighting against the right person. So here's Paul, and he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, if you were here at the beginning of the year, one of my favorite sermons of all time, I talked about this in our Abide series, and I uh, imitated one of the best wrestlers ever, ever uh, born, uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. And I did a whole sermon on that, acted it out. It was funny. You can go watch it. That was just for you, Jesse. Oh, yeah. All right. And so be strong in the Lord is a passive. It's a command, but it's passive. We're not commanded to be strong. We're commanded to let the Lord be strong for us. So he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let's read that again. That you may be able to stand against the, the schemes of the who? The devil. That is our common enemy. He goes on in verse 12. He says, for we do not wrestle, again, we do not strive together. We do not wrestle, agonize with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
That's who we're fighting against. I'm not fighting against my kids. I'm not fighting against my wife. I'm not fighting against another group of people. Ultimately, I'm fighting against the darkness, against the devil, against principalities, powers, rulers in this present age. Again, we talked about this back in January. We talked about how there are spiritual beings and that's who we're fighting against. Here's why this is so important and why I want you to understand. And it applies again, not just into families, but into culture, into churches. If we're not careful, we become unaware of the schemes of the devil. And that's what I want to talk to you about for a second. The schemes of the devil. Paul says that you may be able to stand against his schemes. See, the problem with a lot of us and the problem in my life is I don't always understand his schemes. And so I want to help you understand his schemes. And here's what I want to do. In fact, I don't have this on the screen. You can go look it up later. But there's a guy who came to faith in Christ who's gone to be with Jesus now, one of the greatest Christian minds ever, a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis. And he wrote several books, incredible books, Mere Christianity. I would highly recommend them all to you. But one that he has written, and I haven't read it all the way through, but it's called The Screwtape Letters. And it's allegory. It's, you know, he, he also wrote, you know, uh, Lion, Witch, and the War, Wardrobe. Those have been turned into movies. But in the screw tape letters, he wrote 31 of them. And it is one demon, an upper demon, talking to a lower demon about strategies. About strategies. And so screw tape is the demon talking to Wormwood. Well, I want to read some uh, uh, of one letter to you after chapter seven, and then I'm going to explain it to you about how this explains to us, now this isn't the Bible, but this is a book, the the schemes of the devil. So let me read this to you. This is the demon talking to the other demon. He says, I had not forgotten my promise to consider whether we should make the patient an extreme patriot or an extreme pacifist. He's writing during the time of war. He was Britain. He lived in Britain. And he was writing. And so contextually, he's talking about the guy that this demon is trying to persuade, should he persuade him to be a pacifist or a patriot? So this is what he says. Listen to this. You got to hang with me. I'll explain it. He says, all extremes, except extreme devotion to the enemy. Now he's talking about God are to be encouraged. Now listen, all extremes are to be encouraged. Not always, of course, but at this period. Some ages are lukewarm and complacent, and then it is our business to soothe them, yet faster asleep. Other ages of which this is a present one. Now listen to this, and this doesn't describe our current cultural time. Are unbalanced and prone to faction, and it is our business to inflame them. The church herself is, of course, heavily defended, and we have never yet quite succeeded in giving her all the characteristics of a faction, but subordinate factions within her have often produced admirable, admirable results. From the parties of Paul and Apollos of Corinth down to the high and low parties in the Church of England. What is he saying? I got more to read. Let me tell you real quick. This demon is encouraging this demon. He says, listen, here's what I want you to do. We can't attack the whole church, but we can attack those in the church to extremes. Now he keeps going. He goes, whichever he adopts, your main task will be the same. 
Let him begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as a part of his religion. Then let him under the influence of a partisan spirit. Oh, come to regard it as the most important part. Then quietly and gradually nurse him onto the stage, which the religion becomes merely a part of the cause in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can produce in favor of the British war effort or of pacifism. The ad, listen to this. The attitude which you want to guard against is that in which temporary affairs are treated primarily as material for obedience. He says, guard against someone obeying whatever God tells them to do. Guard against that. Once you have made the world, listen to this phrase, church. Once you have made the world an end and faith a means, you have almost won your man. And it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he is pursuing. Provided that meetings, pamphlets, policies, movements, causes, and crusades matter to him more than prayers and sacraments and charity. He is ours. And the more religious on those terms, the more securely ours. And then listen to this. I could show you a pretty cage down here full of people like that. This is the demon talking to the other demon. And here's what he said. Do everything that you can to push that person to an extreme, to a side. Doesn't matter which one. Because if he gets on this side, he'll fight that side. If he gets on this side, he'll fight that side. And it doesn't matter which side. The devil doesn't care. We just don't want him to be extreme for Christ. Because Christ is not on those sides. And this is what I want you to hear me, church. I want you to hear my words very clearly. We're on the side of reconciliation. Anytime I have a pastoral care conversation with a husband and a wife about a marital issue, I say, listen, I'm not on your side. I'm not on your side. I'm on the side of reconciliation. When it comes to fathering, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to marriage, Am I four fathers or my four mothers? Yes. Yes. Am I for nature or am I for nurture? Which side is it? Yes. We say this all the time. Is God sovereign or are we responsible? Yes. See, it doesn't matter the conversation. Here's all that matters. Just pick a side and villainize the other one. Because if you do that, the devil has won because now you're not fighting your real enemy. You're fighting the enemy that he has made for you in the other side. And here's what I want you to hear me, church. There's a lot of things going on culturally and politically right now. And people have made false sides. Are we for the black community or are we for the law enforcement community? Yes. I won't pick a side. I'll pick both. Because that's the side that Jesus is on. He's on the side of reconciliation. And I want you to hear me. Because in the church, the devil will start to divide. And he'll say, well, you're on this side. Or you're on this side. Pick a side and villainize the other side. 
And what we're saying as a church, we're going to stand for both. We're not going to give in to the schemes of the devil, which are to divide and conquer. That's what, the, 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 what Paul's talking about here when he talks about schemes of the devil. So we have to pray. We have to pray that we don't fall into the prey, the snare, the trap of the schemes of the devil. As the church, we have to lead out into this, and it's messy. And in the same way, I can sit with a black person and listen to them and love them. I can sit with a law enforcement person and listen to them and love them. And I can stand for both. Nothing would bring me greater joy than for black people and white people to be reconciled. Nothing would bring me greater joy than law enforcement to be reconciled with their communities. That's the side we're on. But if we're not careful, then we can fall prey to the schemes of the devil where we give into these false realities in the sense of like, you better pick a side. And here's what I want you to hear me say. The devil doesn't care which side. Just pick one and villainize the other. This happens in church all the time. Are you for mega churches? Or are you for house churches? Yes, both. We'll pick a side and villainize the other one. No, not going to do it. God can use all kinds of ways. Are you for this person or this person? I'm for reconciliation. That's what I'm for. <laughs> Again, are you for women or for men? Yes. I think God has a unique design and plan for both. Don't make me pick a side and villainize the other one because I won't do it. And that's the message we need to hear, church, and I want you to hear me. Because if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we can fall into the scheme of the devil and misunderstand what's really going on here. The devil wants the right fighting the left. And as Christians, we have to say we're not on the right, we're not on the left, we're above. We're not for a political party, we're for the kingdom of God. That's what we're for. And in the kingdom of God, I'm going to have conversations with people that other people may not like or agree with because I want reconciliation. And that's what we're striving together for. And if the church, listen to me, if the church doesn't speak into this cultural current moment, our nation will fall apart. You can feel it, can't you? You can feel it ripping itself apart from the inside and picking sides. And the church has the message. God reconciled us with himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Don't you pick a side and villainize the other one. Because if you do, you've already lost the fight. You've already lost. My fight's not against flesh and blood. My fight's against the devil, the darkness, principalities. Don't you know there are powers behind what you see going on? There are powers behind what you see going on? Villainizing? Pick a side. We have, and it's Christ. And we're going to come together as a church, and we're going to pray. 
That's what I want you to see. Second Chronicles chapter seven. Again, you don't have to turn there. It's in the Old Testament. I got it on the screen. I'm going to read it to you. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among, among my people. Verse 14, very popular verse. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Church, don't you know that our land needs to be healed? Verse 15, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. I want you to see this. We are in verse 13. I could have just said, when 2020 happens, there's no rain, locusts in Africa devouring the land, pestilence among my people, viruses. When 2020 happens, we want verse 15. We want to move from verse 13 to verse 15. Now I will see and open my eyes and my ears and I'll be attentive. We want God to move. But if you want to go from 13 to 15, we better do 14. And what is 14? If my people, if the church will humble itself, seek my face, pray, Turn from their wicked ways. I'll hear and I'll heal. I'll heal. So church, here's what we're going to do. Our world is so divisive because our world is so consumed by the schemes of the devil. As a church, we're going to pray. Here's what's really crazy to me. Today is June 21st. June 21st. 21, 21, our first in-person gathering on a Sunday again is July 12th, July 12th, 12th, 21. If I just move the numbers, 21. And from today until July 12th, you want to guess how many days it is? 21. 21 days from today, July, June 21st until July 12th. So what we're going to do as a church is we're going to pray for the next 21 days. If you were here at the beginning of the year, we always lead out in the year with a 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so I don't know about you, but I feel like 2020 needs a do-over. I feel like we need a do-over. I think we need a new beginning, and that can only become possible if we pray. So it's on your screen. We're going to do 21 days of prayer. And here's what we're doing. 7.14 a.m. in the morning and 7.14 p.m. in the evening. I want you to set an alarm on your phone, on your clock, whatever it is. Write it down. I don't care. 7.14 a.m., 7.14 p.m. For 21 days as a church, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to humble ourselves Seek his face, fall on our knees, pray. Because our fight is not against each other. Our fight is not one ethnic group against another. It is not people against public safety. 
We can stand with our public safety and stand against racism. We can stand with this group and stand with this group. I will not be forced to choose a side because there's only light and darkness. And so we're going to pray and we're not going to fight with each other. We're going to fight together against the schemes of the devil. Not today, Satan. Not today. So we're going to pray. I want you to set your alarm. Here's the deal. What if for 21 days, this just came to me, for 21 days, you didn't post a political post, but you prayed. You didn't make this political, but you prayed. You prayed. You prayed, God, heal here. That's the role of the church. Right now, where we are, I just feel this is God is here. I'm just going to get on my knees. And if you want to do the same right now where you're at, I'm just going to lead us out and pray. Because our fight isn't against a group of people or those that serve in public safety. It's against the devil. And I can't win this and you can't win this without our Lord. Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? God, we're sorry. We're sorry for how we've treated our fellow man. Whether that was hatefulness towards a police officer or hatefulness towards a black person or a white person or any person made in your image. We're sorry. God, we want to seek your face. Would you hear us? We come to you in the name of Jesus. He's our Lord and he's our Savior. We need him. We need the Prince of Peace. And we need you to come heal. There's so much hate. Our fight is not against a person. It's against a principality. And God, we don't want to choose an extreme unless that is you. We don't want to give in to the schemes of the devil that push us to a side and to a cause that is not gospel reconciliation. And so God, would you move in our church first? Move in me first. Move in us. We refuse to let our church be divided. We speak to 
the power of darkness in Jesus' name and say, not at Revolution Church. Not in your house. We're going to stand for righteousness and justice. We're going to stand with people on whatever side they are because we're on the side of reconciliation. So God, we pray that over these next 21 days that you would move in our land. God, I've never been more burdened than I am right now. Not just because it's becoming unsafe, but because people are so cruel. We hate each other. And I hate that. God, how can we hate people made in your image? How can we be so hateful in comments? Comments are from the devil. God, would you move, please? We're asking, like Paul says, and we're about to look at, would you deliver us and help us as a church in our homes and in our communities to bring peace, to introduce people to the Prince of Peace. That's our fight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh. Church, this is real. I cried so much that my glasses, I can't, I can't even clean them. Uh, Natalie, you got your wish. Verse 31 and 32, Paul says this, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Paul says, strive together with me in your prayers. I want to be delivered. A spiritual language, delivered from unbelievers. Literally the word there, unbelievers, is where we get our word apathy. I want to be delivered and I want to be acceptable. So that by God's will, what is God's will? Joy and refresh. This word refresh, you want to know what it means? To rest together. To rest together. Church, that's what I want. I want joy and I want to rest. I'm tired, man. And I'm not up here crying because I'm having an emotional breakdown. I'm, I'm crying because I'm tired. I'm tired of the devil and his schemes and for people unknowingly being used by him, even in the church, to divide, pick a side. I'm tired. I want rest. 
I know it's not going to happen fully till heaven, but I'm going to do everything I can to bring heaven to earth now. I want black people and white people to rest together, to have joy together. I want police officers and the people they serve to rest together, to have joy together. That's what I want. That's what God wants. That's his will. And Paul closes it like this with verse 33. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. May the God of peace. Now, a couple things here, and I know we got to go. But the Old Testament blessing, it's a very Jewish thing to say shalom or Peace be with you. That was a very Old Testament blessing. What's interesting is what was prayed for in the Old Testament is now provided in the New Testament. See, in the Old Testament, they would say, peace be with you. And then the Prince of Peace came and now says, Paul says, not peace be with you, but the God of peace be with you. See, we can have peace if we have God. It's not just a prayer anymore. It's a statement, which is just why I harp on it. It's, it looks like this is contradicting what I say all the time. You don't have to pray for God to be with you. Paul's like, he's praying. No, listen, in the Greek, the word may and the word be is not there. So it better read like this. The God of peace with you all. Amen. The God of peace is with you. He's with you. This isn't a question. It's a statement. It's not a request. It's a declaration. The God of peace is with us. When Jesus showed back up after his resurrection to the disciples and he walked through the walls because they had the doors locked and he said, peace be with you. What was he saying? Peace is with you. He's with you now. What you prayed for is with you. Church, it's a declaration. So why don't we, why don't we be the people of peace? If we got the God of peace, how could we do anything less than be the people of peace? I don't want to be the person of division. I don't want to be the partisan person. I'm going to alliterate all day. I'm going to preach for like four hours and just come up with every alliteration I can. I don't want to be a partisan person. I want to be a peaceful person. Now, does that mean I don't engage in politics? No, I have political viewpoints. But I understand that my citizenship ultimately is in heaven. And God has given me the command to bring peace where there is division. The God of peace with you. Amen. What does amen mean? It is true. It is true. Indeed. Certainly. It is truth. Church, it's time for us to rise up and say amen. It's true. The God of peace is with me. I'm going to step into this circumstance and be the person of peace. Let it be, church. Let's pray. Father.
Thank you. Thank you for Jesus, our Prince of Peace. And God, we want peace, we want joy, we want rest, we're tired. But we also know we're in this mess because of sin. This is not your fault, this is ours. We own it and we repent from it. This is on us. Because after Adam and Eve sinned against you, a brother killed a brother and sinned against man. That's how it happens. We sin against you and we sin against each other. And God, we do that because we don't understand that you have reconciled us and we can't have peace. We're fighting the wrong people. God, thank you for reconciling us. And I pray right now, if there's anybody who doesn't know Jesus, you'd reconcile them. You'd bring peace into their heart right now. And if that's you, if you've never trusted Christ, you can pray with me. And it goes like this. Say, Father, Father, what a day to get saved. Father, would you save me? Forgive me. Heal me. I have sinned. I have sinned against you, and I have sinned against people. Would you save me? Forgive me. I give you my life. And if you just prayed that, we want to know about it. Please follow up with us. And then for those of us who know Jesus, let's be the people of peace who have the God of peace. And let's bring peace so we can have rest. And for you fathers out there, that's our job. Bring peace to the home under the Lordship of Christ and the love of the Holy Spirit. All you fathers that are doing that, thank you. And all of us as Christians, please, let's not give in to the schemes of the devil and make this all about one side. Let's not go into extremes in any other direction other than for Christ. Father, again, would you move in our midst? We need you. And God, as we take these next 21 days to pray, set an alarm and pray 714 a.m., 714 p.m. We're going to pray and we're going to overcome darkness because you overcame the grave. The devil's days are numbered. His schemes are tired and old and we are aware of them now. And by the power and love of your spirit, we push back hate with love. We push back darkness with light. We renounce all racism, all hatred, any acts of violence against a person or a police officer. And we're going to move out into this moment and be the church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.